0: seated. Wow. Um, Thanks for great worship this morning, Perry and team around him. That's the folks on the stage as well as those behind the scenes. Um, As I was sitting there singing that song about um, the cost that Christ paid, Uh, this last week I was at uh, seminar in Kansas City, and after Thursday, um, basically, we're kind of running the end of that seminar. Uh, everybody's done presentations and those kind of things, and we went out to dinner, um, and you, you kind of get into a classroom setting with a bunch of guys, and there's 11 of us, and two profs, and uh, you, you don't really take time to get to know each other's testimony and, and how you came to faith in Christ, and so we sat down at dinner, and I just looked at guys and said, hey, you know, would you all mind sharing? And one of the guys uh, that I've been spending some time with through the week shared. He came to, to Christ as a collegiate, and then I got to share my testimony. Um, and then we got interrupted, and, and some other things happened. But um, it was it was a sweet reminder to me to share with a bunch of guys in their you know adulthood and um, from various backgrounds just the the wonder of salvation. And I, I remember that twenty year old getting out of my bed uh, and, and praying to surrender my life to Christ because I knew that my sin is what he paid the penalty for. It never gets old to think of that. It it is the, the testimony that we have is powerful, folks. And when we sing songs like this about the wonder of God's grace and the hope that we have, let us not lose sight of the power of the gospel. Because it alone is what brings transformation. that when when we couple testimonies and the Word of God and what the Holy Spirit is doing, folks, that's where people find the power of the gospel that is real where they are. And every one of us, every person that we come across needs an ongoing encounter with the person and the glory of Jesus Christ. And and to, to sing this morning, if you could understand, like, I wish... I wish I could, like, snapshot all the things that that the Lord's doing in my own life. Just say, throw it on the screen with this because there's a sweetness to what God is doing. And I hope you are tasting that too. So, Perry, you and I get that because we get to talk in staff meeting throughout the week. And so I just appreciate how the Holy Spirit's directing you in worship and through conversations, responding in staff. And I hope we as a church appreciate what's going on in our worship because it's not just mere just doing music, folks. This is this is about our hearts and minds, the core of who we are, connecting with the Lord. And that's really what I want us to talk about uh, this, this morning. And uh, we're going to do some things different for the season. We're going to try some stuff out. Is everybody okay with that? Y- y'all are nodding. You don't even know what's coming. <laughs> I caught you. <ya. laughs> no, it's it's going to be a fun risk, I hope, okay, um, as I turn my watch off from all the stupid uh Texts that I keep getting that are soliciting texts. It's dinging at me. Here's what we're going to do for a season. Um, Katie, can you do me a favor? Can you turn the house lights up just a little bit more? I'm like trying to dodge glares of folks out there in the back, especially. Um, It would help me to see you guys. One of the things that we're going to do, if you notice, there's mics on each side of the room this morning. Uh, at the end of the service today, one of the things that we're going to do, and we're going to do this for at least a couple of weeks and just try this out, um, we're going to pull those in towards the end of the service, and we want to ask a series of questions. The questions are going to be on the screen. It's going to, the questions are going to be central uh, to the message and, and just opportunities for us to dialogue a little bit together. Um, it, it's, yeah, in some ways, they may be a little rhetorical. But, but I don't, I feel like we've just become kind of like this point of, uh, like, for lack of a better term, especially if you're on Facebook, kind of this talking head. We, we talk, and we're not really engaging well enough, and we think that we're doing a, a, a or like a, a focus that, with our church and, and tone and values of what we're doing, that ought to be more in line with, like, a, a true teaching, and if you get to the end of the class, what, what does a teacher typically do? You, you get some opportunity to ask questions, right, and, and like find out the practical side of that. Um, Steve and I, Steve, can I tell what you're doing right now? Steve has uh, decided to, to go back into his master's, so y'all be praying for Steve, um, but, but with me doing PhD, Steve doing master's, it's like we're inundated with some things that are also like stretching our minds. And so that's a good thing because we think that not just the academic side of these things bring value to us personally, but we also sense that the Lord is doing something like corporately with us as leaders that that are aligning. So we're talking like same lingo in academic worlds, but we're also going, this is really good for the church um, as well. So it's not just classroom setting. We need to be about teaching because Jesus taught. And I think Jesus also sat and did what with his disciples afterward? Like answer questions, right? And so we want to get back to, to some of those kind of practices. So, as you go through this morning, um, if you have a question about something that is said, write it down, okay? A- and I know it'll be a little awkward. We're asking you to do the mics because sometimes the air kicks on or somebody's watching on Facebook, can't, they can't hear you, okay? So, I know it's awkward. Not everybody likes mics. You know, just, just move past it, okay? It'll just help everybody hear and us be, like, concise in how we answer, okay? So, um, that's the first thing I want to do. The second thing is I I want you to understand is I am sharing at the beginning of this message from my heart a little bit more than just unpacking Scripture. We're going to get to the Scripture, okay? That's that's first and foremost my responsibility as a a teaching pastor to share and break open the the Word of God, and we're going to get there, but I want to set this up, okay? So, Gina... And a couple of you others, you got to be careful what you, you can't answer right away, okay? And I'm, I'm pointing at Gina and wagging my finger. I know she's, she's sitting on the ed- edge of her seat. Gina has, has been helpful to me through my uh, education process. She edits my papers um, and does a great job helping me. So she's got a little bit of insight. I've talked to some of you others about this. So when I ask a couple questions here in a minute, don't give it away, okay? Just, just hang on. You, I'll reveal it, but I'm being a little bit, like, uh, coy, for just a minute, okay? So, so in this last seminar, um, what I was studying was theology and culture. So you can imagine immediately as we start talking about COVID-19, uh, election, uh, dealing with race issues that are going on, there are a plethora of things that culture in that one word is like how many things are packed into that, that idea right then and there. So we spent four and a half days uh, in class talking about these very things, and especially talking about not just culture in itself, but this is, this is what I love about Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, is their motto is for the church. They're not just taking us and, and running academic rigors for us. They are trying to implant things that we will come back and, and will transform us so that the church of Jesus Christ is transformed and I know y'all probably get tired of this because every time I come back from a seminar, I'm like, oh, I just want to like pour out all this great stuff that I'm getting. It's because God has been good to me and, and, and it's rejuvenating me in some ways that I personally need. And so one, I want to say thank you for allowing me to do this. Uh, two, thank you for praying for me because it it's a lot of work. Um, but, but you need to know it's producing good things in me. And I think it's not just about me. It's really about, I think, what, what the Lord wants to do in, in and through our church as well. And so this morning, I want to um, begin by reading a couple statements that I've put into my paper for theology and culture. And I think these are amazing statements because they're from a, a theologian pastor who has, has made these remarks, and I'm not going to tell you who it is, I'm going to let you try to guess this, okay, who this is. But, but I want you to hear these things that are said, because I think it very much parallels where we are in our time right now. So let's read this first quote, Genevieve. You got it? Great. Thanks so much. And Katie Myers, thank you again for typing this in so fast and furiously this morning. It says this, all things, almost in all nations, are filled with confusions disorders, dangers, distresses, and troubles. Wars and rumors of wars do abound with tokens of farther approaching judgments, distress of nations with perplexity, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on earth. When I read that, I was like, that's today. That that is today. Today. It just shocked me. And, and what I began to think about is that verse in Ecclesiastes where the writer says, there's nothing new under the sun. There, there's no difference in times, really. I, I don't know why we feel like the, the year 2020 and bridging into 2021 would be any different than any other age. Listen to this next statement the same pastor or theologian writes, and then we'll take a minute to guess, okay? He says, never was there an age... Since the name of Christians was known upon the earth, wherein there was such a direct opposition made unto the person and glory of Christ as there is in that wherein we live. Does that quote make sense? He's saying Christianity and the name of Christ is under condemnation. There's never been a point in time that has been under this much attack and conflict. Intention towards. Now, can you guess? Can you guess who it was? There's somebody that knows my loves. Who's that? Rob Jones. Don't recognize that. Is that Travis? Did you say that? Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't Spurgeon. It was not A. W. Tozer. Gina, you're dying to share, aren't you? You don't know, okay? You do know, okay? don't say anything. It's cheating. Kidding. It's actually John Owen who lived and said this in the year 1683, just prior to his death. Think about that. In the 17th century, he is saying these things. And what what sparked me about Owen's comments is, is reading some more contemporary books about theology and culture and what shapes worldview is how Owen captured these things so well as a pastor and a theologian. And and he understood the conflict that the world was was facing at his time. But it's no different than where we are, honestly, today. And, And I think you could take Owen. I think you could take Spurgeon or Edwards. I think you could take some other, like Moody or somebody else in the States. And you, you could say, they could say these same exact things, century after century after century. And I could have put those same terms and just modernized the language a little bit and said, that's me saying that. And you ought to have said, yeah. Now, now why am I sharing that? Because I think, and th- this is one of the things that, that so impressed me about Owen, and, and what my paper was really trying to capture, is Owen has written volume after volume. No, no joke, it's like 18 volumes. They're, they're, they're books like this, and it's not big print, I'm telling you, and it's puritanical language that is rough to get through. And, and He's so influential though because he's written volume after volume and he knew people and he knew the Lord. And, And what sparked me was his understanding of the truth of the gospel, but when you read that, especially that first quote about the fears and all the struggles that mankind faces is he understood the hearts of people too. And I think that we can run a life in Christianity and we can forget what happens in the heart of who we are. That, that we tend to just want more information and more knowledge. We need it. Don't, don't hear me say that we don't need that. But what ultimately does that need to impact? The knowledge and the information, the, the truth of the gospel. It has to impact who we are at our core, in our inner being. Does that make sense? So I want us to, to do this. I want us to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to begin, we're going to do a little bit of Bible drill this morning. So just, just get your you know, fingers ready to, to flip a little bit. It's not going to be far reaching and stuff. It'll be all in the New Testament. So, so just hang in there and I'll give you a couple seconds to find it. But I want to begin by reading Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. And here's what I want to, to ultimately emphasize out of this. When we are uh, at a point where we understand how the Lord has taught in his word that we are to be transformed by, yes, the renewing of our mind, according to Romans 12, 1 and 2, that, that it changes our hearts when we're renewed, that our inner being changes. And ultimately, that impacts how we come together as the body of Christ, the church, and it transforms us for, a, uh, for, for his glory and for powerful, effective, impacting living. So let's, let's now read Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. Paul says, for this reason, and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be, fulfilled, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Love this. Now, we're going to hit this again later, but listen to verses 20 and 21. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. What what a passage. I mean, mean, honestly, it's so rich. There's part of me that says, just stop. Just don't even try to comment on it, Matt. Just let the Word of God be the Word of God and the Holy Spirit do His work. But but I've also been called to to teach and preach and and to expound and and unpack these things. So we're going to do that. Okay? So here's where I want us to begin. Look back at verse 14. This is a key, okay? Paul says, for this reason. Well, what's the reason? Does anybody remember? Okay, I'll, I'm going to explain it just for sake of time. Look back at 3.1 because he gives one through, in, in verses 1 through 13, it's actually like this big parenthetical, okay, about the mystery of the gospel. But, but verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul says again what? For this reason. So, so he starts to give the reason or, or, like, point to the reason of what he's about to say, but he gives this parenthetical. Paul always does that. He, like, interrupts his thoughts. He's like bunny trail king, okay? If we, if we really don't know that, he does it all the time. So in verse 14, he picks back up from verse 1. He's like, oh, yeah, had this interrupted thought. Let me go back and finish this. That's what 14 through 21 is, It's picking the reason up. So what is 3-1's reason? we got to ask that. Am I making sense? So we have to go back. What's he talking about in 3. one for this reason? Well, here's what it is. In chapter 2, he unpacks the church, the glory of the church, the bride of Christ that has been transformed uh, uh, from people of Jewish descendants or, or heritage as well as Gentiles, that they've been people made into one in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the head of that church for his glory. He's, they're being made into a, a household of faith. A temple built with living stones. It's the church. So, so, for this reason, Paul's looking at the church and saying, for this reason, this beautiful organization that Christ has ordained, that Christ has set apart, there's something that we need to know and do. Folks, let me say this. And I, I, you, you've heard me say this again and again. Christ loves the church. One of the things that Owen said that just arrested my attention when I read this. He said, every, uh, in Christ, there is a, he, Christ is a repository and treasury of every value for the church. Think about that for just a second. Christ is a repository and treasury of every value that we need in the church. Who, who, who do we need to love? Who do we need to pursue? Who, who do we need to experience ongoing, every day? It's Jesus Christ. And that's his whole last letter. It's on us experiencing the glory of Christ. Here's the crazy thing. As we experience the glory of Christ, the call is for us to relate to him and walk in a way that we love Christ and and therefore we're loving the church. It's It's a simple economy because in Christ everything that he's given us is here and present. So it's values, it's hopes, it's gifts, everything we need found in the church Whew. I don't know about you but that makes me go if that's what Christ has done for the church and I'm to love him and that's the value he's placed I just need to line with that I need to follow hard after that I need to, to make sure that that I'm, I'm getting that every moment of my life and that's what Paul says he says for all of those reasons what's he do verse 14 chapter 3 verse 14 he says For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. What's that a a, a metaphor for? Surrender? But what kind of surrender? Prayer, right? He's saying, this is my prayer for the church, that that we would experience something together. Okay? Now, what we're going to do is we're going to come back and we're going to unpack this passage after the children's time. Okay, and what Paul's prayer really consists of as we look at these thoughts. Can y'all hang on to that for just a couple minutes? Adults. Okay, great. Rob, Juliana, kids, come on down. It's time for you to get some teaching and some singing and motions and all that stuff for you, okay? So come down here and find a little spot on one of the cushions and listen to Mr. Rob as he teaches.
1: Good morning, boys and girls. (laughs) All right. Today, we're going to be talking about how Jesus is the light of the world. Now, each of y'all, how do you feel when it's really dark out and there's no light and you can't see? Comfortable. (laughs) What about you, Oliver? Are you scared whenever it's really dark? It can be. You can't see things. You don't know where you're going. You bump into things if you're trying to walk around. What do you think gives us light when we need, if you're outside? Flashlights? Mm-hmm, yep. Or could you turn your lights down for a second? So If it's really dark out, what I like to use is my headlamp. If I have to go to work in the dark, I have to look at the railroad tracks. I walk around with my head down, and the light shows me where I'm going. Or if you ever go, you can turn it back up now. Um, if you ever go to the beach and you go to look for crabs, you use a flashlight at night because that's when all the crabs come out. And if it's dark out, you don't see them and you may step on them. But you don't want to do that because they can paint your toes. <laughs> uh, So the world is kind of like being in the dark. Sometimes it's hard to see in the world and we don't know the right way to go or the right things to do. And when we try to walk in the dark, we can bump into things. And the same thing is true about if we live our lives without Jesus, because Jesus tells us the right way to go. And our scripture verse today is John 8, verse 12, which says, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of the life. Uh, so, and then when he was talking to this, Jesus was trying to show people the right way to go. And there was many people in Jerusalem that he was talking to for this very special um, celebration. And he wanted them to understand the main thing that God sent Jesus to save people from their sins and he said that's why I said I am the light of the world whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have light of life now Jesus is he a light bulb or a candle no he was a man mm-hmm. and he was a light and he never sinned and that's an amazing thing because we all sin and uh, God sent Jesus in to defeat sin. And Jesus died on the cross to pay for all of our sins. And afterwards, he became alive again. And he saved people from their sins. So for those who believe in Jesus, he forgives their sins. Now, who do you think came to save people from their sins? Jesus did. Yes, he did. And who is the light of the world? Jesus is. And a uh, trick question who has the best beard at the Grove Church? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Brian. Brian. Where's Mr. Brian at? He does. <laughs> Mark has it, too. He does.
2: Pastor
1: Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Matt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the last question is who shows us the right way to live? Jesus, Jesus does. He set that example. All right, and we'll pray, and then we'll do a little sing-along. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much today for bringing us together and that we get to spend this time with children and uh, also fellow believers and worship you. God, we thank you for sending your son Jesus into this world as the light of the world who never sinned, and he was that perfect sacrifice for each one of us who believe in him. God, thank you for these little children, and... uh, Thank you for all that you've done. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.
2: Good morning, everyone. Okay. So, we're going to be singing about our whole house worshiping the Lord. So, if everybody would stand up, feel free to do the motions with us. That would be great.
0: Others are helping pass out some activities for the children. I just want to like tie that song in for a minute because as we're thinking about this idea of choosing to serve the Lord, that really does relate to what we're talking about in, in the message today. Because I think as we think about how the Lord has called us to be people that, that serve Him well in the church, it is a response that we make to Him for His goodness to us. And so, our worship is a portion of that. There's other aspects of our lives as well that reflect that. And so, as we return back to Ephesians 3, what I want to remind you of is is Paul is praying these things for the church, and we need to unpack what this prayer consists of, okay? Because as again, I I want to point out, remember when I referred to the doxology, this is about the church revealing the glory of Christ, so these, these, this matter of Paul's prayer is how do we fulfill our responsibility and our response to God as the Holy Spirit is working in us, that, that we would take that work and we would uh, join into that work in our sanctification, and that we would together glorify God through the church. That, that's his goal, if you will. So we're seeing that unpacked. So Ephesians 3, let's pick up in verse uh, 15, Ephesians 3, 15. So he says, from, who, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. Now, here's what he's praying, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I'm thinking, okay, that's a really important prayer that Paul is saying that we, as individuals, need to be strengthened with power in our inner being. And I stopped, and I was like, what is this concept of inner being really mean? Because if we don't understand that, because it's not strengthened by lifting weights, it's not strengthened by running a a marathon or a half marathon or a 5K, it's not about those things. It's about being strengthened in our inner being. And so I started running through the scriptures and going, what what does Paul mean by that? Where else does he use that phrase? So I want us to turn over to to Romans, if you can, Mark Ephesians 3, because we'll be back there. But turn over to Romans chapter 7 verse 22. And, and let me give you a context as you're turning to Romans 7 that'll hopefully help you understand kind of where I'm pulling this one little verse out of. Paul is talking about the struggle between the flesh and the spirit in Romans 7. He's talking about how the law points out the struggles of sin in the flesh, but the, the spirit, the new man, has, has uh, been transformed because of the work of the, the, the Lord in his life, okay? And so we're looking at 722, and he says this, let me actually back up and we'll, we'll uh, read 20 and go through 22. He says, now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that, it, that is, uh, dwells within me. So there's that struggle. Sin is dwelling within me, leading me to do things I don't want to do, verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. We all struggle, right? We, even if, if we're a believer, we still struggle with sin, But Paul says this in verse 22. He says, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. I was like, there's that phrase. So what does the inner being have to do with our person? And as I began to study and research and think through this, this is what I believe uh, this means, that when one becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, like I mentioned earlier in, in kind of referring to my testimony, that I recognize that my sin is what put me on the cross, is what Rob talked about this morning right here on this first step, that he said, Jesus is the light of the world and whoever would confess him as Lord and Savior would be forgiven of their sins and Jesus would be their Savior. When that happens, we are given what? A new nature. and And, and yet there's a struggle still That new nature is born again, right? And there's something new created in us in Christ. That inner being is new. But there's still the old nature that we struggle with. And and here's what some people have actually believed over the centuries of the church. That the struggle then becomes with the flesh, the outward shell of the man, and the inner being that's new. But I don't think that's the case. Look at Galatians chapter 3. I'm sorry, Galatians 5. So if you have your hand in Ephesians, you can just turn back a couple pages. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21, we read this, okay? But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So Paul's pointing out this idea of the Spirit and the flesh, Okay? So, so we could easily say, well, the flesh is what we do material, you know, like with the material side of our body, the physical aspects. But listen to what he goes on to say. He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires, desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, now listen, this is where it gets interesting, because he's saying that he's going to start describing what the works of the flesh are, and we're going to break this down for just a minute. He says in verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of ra- or anger or rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now, now, before I go further, I'm not going to unpack all of those, those, those things in that list, but how many of those actually had to do with, like, the, the, the physical body? There are several things that did, right? But did every one of them? No. Like, what is envy? En- envy is not a fleshly thing. Now, it could be envy over material things that somebody owns, but that's a heart issue, isn't it? What about fits of anger? Right? That, that, that's not a physical thing that may manifest itself physically as you see someone get angry and throw something or scream and yell, right? You know, shake their fist at you driving or worse. <laughs> you know, it manifests itself that way. But it's a heart issue. Now, let's look and see what Paul says further. He says in, in verse 21, he says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who, what, do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That idea of do such things is actually a phrase that if, if you break down the Greek, it says, make a practice of doing those things. So it has to do with this habitual engagement of sinful behavior and attitudes and actions that, that make a difference. So, so here's the issue. If our inner being is, is in conflict with our flesh, The flesh is not just the material stuff, it's about our soul. And what we have the responsibility to do, what Paul's saying, is where our inner being is transformed, where that that new man is made, that new person is made in Christ, we have to continue to pursue the transformation of that so that everything else in our our lives is transformed by that. But our tendency and our struggle is what? That we please the flesh. (laughs) That, That we get satisfied and focused on the wrong things instead of focusing on the right thing. And isn't that what Paul prays? Look back at Ephesians 3. In verse 16, he says that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So, So what is the Holy Spirit at work doing right now in every believer in this room or on Facebook? He is trying to strengthen us with power in our inner being. He is trying to take the truth of Scripture and to continue to strengthen us with His work. What's our struggle? We'd rather satisfy the other things, we'd rather spend our time loving the other things, we'd rather just feed the flesh. In, in that term. But here's what he, he goes on to say. Now listen to this. He says, with the goal, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, so here's the point, is we need to experience the love of God. Now, now, how do we experience that? We experience it through the truth of the word. I'm not denying that, okay. But it also means this: we've got to become people who love the things of God. Now, let me share a statement, and I'm going to package this this way. Um, How many of you were here? I think it was two weeks, two Sundays ago. Not, yeah, it was two Sundays ago. Heard Steve talking. Steve was talking about values. He was teaching specifically on the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the the, uh, pearl of great price, okay? And Steve gave an illustration about this gentleman that I think he found on the web maybe through some research or something that you were doing for school that revealed like a list of values that he lived by, okay? As I was, don't, 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 I I know this is going public. As I was driving down the interstate watching the service that morning trying to listen, I know, I know, I was trying to engage with you guys, um, right or wrong, but I was listening more than watching. Um, that caught my attention because as Steve was talking about values, what, what I'm recognizing through all this reading and theology and culture and all these things that I'm doing is we can list off values, right? That, that for instance, the man who found the, the treasure in the field, what made the difference in him finding the treasure and then selling all he had to purchase the field? what what, what was the difference in him at that point it wasn't just about the value of the treasure It's that he loved that treasure enough to sell everything the same thing with the man who wanted the pearl of great price it wasn't about the value of the pearl itself That, that didn't matter really it's that he valued it enough to go and do what sell all he had to get that pearl. See, here's my point. How many of you ever watched The Repair Shop? This, it's on Netflix. Praise God I'm not the only one, okay? Raise your hands high. Be proud, you know, uh, Anglophiles, right? You love the, the English. It's a great show. It's clean as all get out. Um, I'm nerdy this way. Like, I, I wake up sometimes in the middle of the night and can't sleep, so I find shows that can, like, give me easy thinking. This is one um, that gives you easy thinking, it's very clean. It's this repair shop over in England, out in the country of England, that what they do is they, they have these great experts at re- restoration, whether it be wood, it's like stuffed animals, ceramics, uh, metal workers, there, there's, there's all sorts of clock workers, you know, all these things. And people will bring their family heirlooms into the repair shop to have them repaired. Most of the things are really not that valuable, are they? The, but but the value lies where in the sentiment of the family members that there's some kind of history about a trunk that that their grandfather traveled with or great-grandfather traveled with that they brought from France throughout or wherever or this is their stuffed animal that they were given their grandmother was given back in World War II that survived and they want it restored at some level and what they do is like in those stuffed animals they take all the old stuff and they put it into the stuffing so that The animal's, like, original stuff is still present. Now, here's my point, okay? The folks that bring those objects into the repair shop, even though they're not really that valuable, what do they feel about those objects? A deep love. There's something about that 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 the people who run the repair shop understand. And as they work on it, even though it's not this, you know, great valuable thing, they find... Value in it for the family that this brought the object in. Now, let me say something here that I I think is important for us to understand. I think that we undervalue Christ in the church. I think we, as Americans, tend to see a lot of other things as valuable. We'll say we love the church. We'll say we'll, we'll put all of our efforts into it, but the truth is, our desire for the things of God is really cheap. I mentioned Owen no earlier, let me quote somebody else that's a little bit older, he's also deceased, C.S. Lewis, you've probably heard me say this quote before, but he writes this in The Weight of Glory, it's in one of the earliest uh, lectures in, in The Weight of Glory, he says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of of the rewards promised in the Gospels. Does, does that make sense? Like think about all that God has promised and blessed and, and, and uh, has secured for us, the rewards that we will, be, we will possess, the things that we've sung about, about heaven and being able to be in the presence of God this morning. Here's his conclusion. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. Every time I read that statement, I am so sobered and humbled because I would have to confess that the Lord finds my desires for Him and the things of God not strong enough. And how different would my community be if I desired the things of the Lord more deeply? How different? Would your community be, if you desired the things of the Lord more deeply? See, that's what Paul is getting at in, in Ephesians three, that if we, if his prayer is that we would increase in a knowledge of the love of Christ, folks, if we really got a taste of it, how different would we? How different will we think? How different would we live? How different would we build relationships? I think vastly. And as we begin this series about how we love the church, I think we've got to begin right here. Where are our desires? Do we love the things of God, or are we too easily misplaced by our love for other things? Here's what John MacArthur says. He says, when the Holy Spirit has empowered us, Christ has indwelt us, love, the love of Christ has mastered us, and God has filled us with His own fullness, then He is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. So, I don't know about you, but when I think about a statement like that, it makes me desire something greater. It makes me desire something. To love the Lord in a way that I cooperate rightly with the Holy Spirit so that the work of the Lord is effective in my life and that my love for Him abounds in a way that the Lord can do exceedingly more. I've got to be in cooperation with Him. So let me not be found desiring the Lord in too weak of a way. So here's what I want to encourage us to do. I want us to answer some questions. Steve, are you going to come up and join me? So this is new. Thomas, are you responsible for getting that mic? Thanks, Josh, you on that side. So we're going to have these mics. You guys turn those on. Steve, I would just say grab that. Grab a stool over there, man. Um, so I, I've got a couple questions that I want to pose to us this morning. Hopefully this will be a good experiment and we'll have some fun with this and also learn. Okay, the first question is this. What does this message teach us about people and our relationship to God? And we're going to enjoy silence if we have to. What does this message teach us about people and our relationship to God? Just come to the mic, just make your your way up there. You know, you, you're not afraid, so I'm just going to ask you to do I'm one thing. Don't take up. it back with you.
3: Take the microphone back do don't, <laughs> don't
0: take it back with you. Is this okay? Yeah. Okay.
3: Are you trying to get somewhere with this question or yeah. can I, whatever? Okay. Just, I want to answer right because I like to get the right answer. So, what does this message te- teach us about people and our relationship to God? I mean, it seems like the obvious answer is our relationship to God has to be within the context of the church, which is God's That's people. Great. And if it's not we're going to suffer. And I've just, as you're talking about that, I was thinking about family members. That I know that are believers, but have said we have no need for the church. And I watch that and I watch their lives. And when things are hard, they're alone. They come up with goofy interpretations of scripture, which I can do that too, but I have accountability. Yeah. Within the church. So, yeah,
0: that's, that's great. I and and, and I, I don't think I did maybe necessarily a full job of unpacking that paul 's praying for us as individual or the church at that time as individual. I think it still applies to us today that that we will be you know transformed in our inner being right, but that impacts ultimately the doxology. he comes back and he uses terms like we we talked about that this morning um, the the plural we that it's ultimately inner being for me, but that can 't be apart from the church body. It, it has to be in community because that 's what Christ ultimately gave himself up for he 's the head of the Church, not just Matt Warren, or not just your name. So, Gina, I think that's absolutely accurate. I think it goes beyond that, too, in some ways. Other thoughts? Steve, you want to share anything on it? Not yet. Not yet? <laughs> I will say
4: one thing that, um, and we've talked about this before, because what was what was Christ's command? The the great command. No, that was the great commission. Okay. Yeah, so great. Lo- but but how? There, there's a there's a qualifier and a quantifier. Love the Lord your God with all. Now you have these quadrants, heart soul mind and strength so so this message teaching about this says this that your your heart where your treasure is your heart will be also that this relationship that is that is two-way okay that is that is between Christ God God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit that that relationship that is manifest in in a loving act that is quantified and qualified with all okay there's the quantified and qualified heart soul mind and strength is not just only this in those two quantities and qualities it is and love your neighbor how which is this so the way that you are doing this, is manifest then, in the way that you do this. And so when he when 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 you mentioned Galatians five,
2: mm-hmm.
4: that that the that the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is the fruit, and those are the relational components that are lived out this way. Yeah.
2: Good.
0: Other thoughts? All right, we'll move to the next question. Um, What is it that holds people back from having their desires focused more strongly on the Lord? Love of the world. Is that what you said, Mark? Yeah. What else? Pride. Absolutely. I know you're not coming to the mic, but let's do better. I'll repeat it. Those are short answers. Thanks, Josh. Pride. That's good. Which manifests (laughs) itself
4: in basically… Desires of self.
0: Yeah. I mean, isn't it amazing? I think I think the, the goal of this question is really for us to hold this mirror up to ourselves and say, "Yeah, that's the world, but it's also me." How, how many things distract me from my love of the Lord? Yeah, Thomas.
5: Y'all hear me? Okay. Yeah. I've been working up north a lot, and I feel like peer pressure more than anything else. Cause in the Bible Belt here, it's kind of easier, but like when you get out and then you get around, there's there's less and less Christians. I feel like. So makes the focus a lot like clouded. Yeah.
0: yeah. So so can I reshape that a little bit? And and you can say if this is accurate or not. It, it's it's what values are put before us then we have a, have the res- responsibility to pursue those. Is that fair? Does that make sense? Because the peer pressure will shape the values differently, and then we have to go, what does my heart desire more? Does that make sense? Yeah, I feel,
5: I feel like just the influence of people around you in general and, like, what everybody, you know, just to you know put it in, like, layman's terms, like, what everybody's wearing, right? So everyone starts wearing similar clothes. If you are put into an environment where people aren't focused on God and don't mention God, you know, it's just harder. So, you know, being a part of the church is a big deal, but then, you know, and, and I just think that that holds like, you know, it's like inevitable from your environment to not affect you
4: internally. So, so the, the irony with that, and and this was phenomenal when he said peer pressure, if you are in, influenced by peer pressure, which all of us are. What, 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 does, that, what does that translate as being? That, that, that becomes the object of your, your desire. I, I desire to be influenced because it's there and I'm acquiescing. I'm, I'm falling into that and going, yeah. that is what I would like to be. So that, that goes back
0: to that, that pride. Yeah. Or, or at least you're put in tension where you're struggling with that, even if you don't acquiesce. good morning morning.
6: unfortunately unfortunately i guess it i feel that it goes back to um how you were raised in a sense Mm -hmm. because if you're not raised um in the church or by people who believe and they may believe but they don't necessarily put their beliefs in action and you know um You know take their family to church or surround themselves or surround themselves with people of God and people who you know struggle the same way that they struggle and you know they don't surround themselves with believers in in a sense and if they do surround themselves with with believers they don't go to church either or but I just it all depends on a lot of it as to how you're raised and going back to what Thomas said peer pressure is a huge thing And unfortunately, you know the Christian belief and the Christian way of life is getting less and yeah. less and
0: Great. less. Teresa, thank you so much. Um, and I think you're you're spot on with that. And, and that's part of why I think this this message birthed a little bit out of my theology and culture, because one of the things that we're we're trying to figure out is what shapes somebody's worldview, right? Because the truth is, all of us have a worldview, but when you come into contact with Christ and you begin to experience his, his glory, and that glory then calls you to salvation, all of a sudden your worldview has to shift majorly. And what's the support of that? And, and Teresa, I think that's what you're hitting on. Family culture that's not part of a Christian worldview necessarily, that doesn't value church and a walk with Christ in a, in a specific way, it's hard to shift out of. And so that's where I think specifically, to change a worldview means you have to get into a culture, Thomas, of people that are providing a positive, and I'm not going to use this word peer pressure even though I'm employing it, but a positive environment where we transcend those things according to God's word, because that's what he's calling us to do, which means we're in community together. We're holding each other accountable. We're challenging each other upward in a deeper love for Christ so that we would say, no, those things aren't as valuable. Don't desire those things. They're shallow. They're cheap. They're idols that can be replaced with the person of Christ. It is much more satisfying. So enjoy him. Enjoy the power of their surpassing love of Christ above all. That's what community is about. Sorry, you can tell I'm passionate about this stuff. Any other thoughts on that? Steve, do you have anything else?
4: Um, d- d- just briefly. I can't do anything brief. I think it's interesting that you said that because this really is a picture of, of, of our pursuit of holiness. Mm. You know, and, and I don't know why I'm on a hymn kick today, but the great hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Yeah. Look full in His wonderful, wonderful face. And what? The things of earth. Will, will grow, grow strangely, strangely dim, dim in the light, light of His glory, glory. and grace. Yeah. Wow, wow that that really that really sets the tone. And and Scripture says this: Seek first the kingdom, kingdom of God and His righteousness. righteousness. See, it, it it is a perspective change, mm-hmm. and and so our worldview, uh, the the way we view life, Jesus is saying. You, you're, you're changing your whole perspective and your whole viewpoint that everything is filtered through seeking first the kingdom of God, seeking after, having our minds transformed, all of these things in and through the filter of Jesus Christ. Yeah,
0: good. All right, let's go to the next question, Miss Genevieve. What are the life lessons that can and ought to be applied from this message?
4: What is the personal takeaway for you? Yeah. What is the takeaway for the church?
0: I mean, I know they're obvious, right? But I, I would rather than me tell you, I'd like you all to share because somebody may have some insight that comes across differently that's just as helpful and, and balanced. Bob Jones is coming. Debbie Randolph, come on. Go, Debbie. Ladies first.
7: Okay. In the days of COVID, um, we've had this disconnection that has, for I'm sure everybody, been traumatic, to say the least. And what that's done um, to our our grow group, uh, we have continued to meet weekly, we've had a couple of hiccups here and there, but weekly on Zoom meetings and the transition to that has been very challenging. It's very different, as everybody knows, but what that has brought to light and what has become so sweet during this time is the knowledge that we need each other so desperately. We have to have each other. We have to. You can, it's like you feel like you're dying
0: without it. Absolutely. How many can relate to that? That at some point over the last year, you felt insulated, isolated, alone, and desperate for community? I have. Okay? And and Debbie, I think that's why, one, God never wired us to be this way in humanity from creation on. And that's why, again, I think, to me, I immediately go, yeah, it's an interpersonal thing, but it's also a corporate thing. we got to have both aspects. I am responsible for me, but I'm also responsible for you and, and the rest of you, and, and it's a sweet thing. The church is a sweet thing, and we need each other. Thank you so much. Rob.
1: So when we're talking about the inner being in Ephesians, and it goes on to say being rooted and grounded in love, mm-hmm. that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's a, another verse that's kind of speaking about it, is that we want to have life, but it's not just life, but the life that God gives is abundant life. We can have our, um, it's John 10, 10 is the verse that kind of goes about it, is the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So that's the world. That's If I'm putting my values into what the world shows, it's, it's stealing my time from Christ. It's stealing my love. It's stealing all of my life. And Christ didn't come into the world to just make us, zombies of what the world wants us to be because I don't really care what the world wants me to be. Christ came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So if I'm living my life geared towards the world, then I'm completely missing the picture that Christ has given to me, that he wants me to have abundant life through the love that he gives and the light that he is, and it's just what I talked about in the children's sermon, that he's a light, and this light's in me. I can either choose to snuff it out and turn and go to the world
0: or let it shine. So it—that's very good. Very good. Thank you. Anybody else? Real quickly. All right, I'm going to throw two more questions up on the screen. Do you have any further questions or comments? open it up real quickly.
4: I just say no fair baby passing. That, that's yeah. just not... <laughs> you know, you, you didn't... Steve,
0: Steve's okay. going to get on the end next. Yeah, so yeah. That's, that's it.
4: Yeah. Because it's like, and then the other thing, as soon as you did that, everybody went...
0: Yeah. So, I, I think this is probably the most practical uh, application of the day because it, it focuses us uh, on this last question, how can we pray for one another in response to this message? Because it's not just praying for me, but it's the community application that, that we would be people of prayer for one another. So, how can we pray? Yeah, Gina.
3: I brought my Bible. Really, we could just not be six foot one. We could with heels. I know. That's <laughs> silly. We could actually pray this passage for each other. Yeah. Something that I like to talk about but don't do very much. Um, and maybe maybe this week I could make a point of every day when I'm spending time with the Lord, go back to this passage, pray the actual passage for our church with specific with specific people in mind, Great. um, I'm going to do that.
0: Great. Thank you. Yeah. I thought Bubba had an epiphany of some kind. He's going to come step up to the mic and speak. He's the sweetest young man. I love him. Yeah. Angel?
7: Um, I was kind of just thinking about, you know, it's easy just to get forgetful, to just reach out to God and just in the little ways of, you know, you know, God, i leaving from church. Like, I don't have any plans. You know, well, what do you, what do you have for me? What do you, what, where do you want me to go? You know, just like getting him in to our just little movements yeah. in life yeah. and reaching out to him. Because I mean, I know I do. I get forgetful and I don't, I don't pray.
2: Yeah.
7: And just trying to remember those little things
0: yeah. and work
7: our way towards, you know, everything. That's good. Him being Because I
0: think we all can be, th- thank you, Angel. I think we can all be guilty of that, of getting caught into the, the uh, rigors of life and, and shelving God at some level. <laughs> and, and just to, to be more intentional about, I, and I would say this, praying and deepening our desire for Him all day long. Like if I was trying to co- kind of com- combine some words and thoughts for the morning. Good. So, so to pray that for ourselves and for one another.
4: And, and I think an intentionality to be doing that you know versus the excuse of oh I forgot is, is being intentional about being aware that that's what we do need to be doing
0: so can I just do this for us to end this, the service this morning and we'll have a, a I think Perry you guys are ready to, to do a quick reprise um, and, th- and then we'll give you some instructions about the members meeting after that Um, Let me just pray a blessing over us this morning, okay? And I am going to do what Gina suggested out of Ephesians, okay? So if I stumble a little bit, bear with me for just a minute, okay? Let's bow together. For this reason, we bow before you, Heavenly Father, from whom every family, including the Grove Church family, is named, that according to your riches you would grant us to be strengthened with power through your Spirit in each one of our inner beings so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith and that you being that we are rooted and grounded in your love, Christ. And we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, not just at the Grove Church, but everywhere, whether that be across Robertson County, uh, across the state of Tennessee, across the nation, or across the world, that we would comprehend together the breadth and length and height and depth of your love for us, Christ, because it surpasses knowledge and that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. And we bless you because you are able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power, your power, that is at work within us. To you, Lord, be the glory in the Grove Church and your entire universal church in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen.